0: We would be honored if you
1: would join us. All right, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of Dungeon Crawlers, because once again, one of my favorite gentlemen in the world has returned to the show. That's right. Author R.A. Salvatore has returned to Dungeon Crawlers once again to talk about not only his Dritz novels, but several other amazing works he has uh, out right now or out right now or soon to be out. So, um, you know, thanks for coming on the show again. It's always a pleasure.
2: It is. It's always a pleasure. Love being with you guys.
1: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's always fun to have you on the show. And, you know, I I have been reading these novels for what feels like forever. I have every novel uh, in hardback. I just I, I love the Dritz novels. I love the Corona books. Um you know, I even have the the Crimson Shadow books. Uh, I even have the de- the role playing system you, you mm-hmm. guys developed. Hey, course. that was a good game. <laughs> we played that for six years before I figured out. I figured I better
2: finally learn how to play five e or Wizards was going to be mad at me. <laughs> and we're probably going back to it next year. We're trying to expand the classes because it's it's really kind of there aren't enough classes. We need more. Yeah. More variation. Yeah, characters. more
1: classes, some variations in that. So. So, so again, it, it's been a wonderful journey and then coming to, to get to meet you and know you in person and have this relationship that we've had over the, the podcast these years. It's, it's crazy to think that, you know, this little podcast I started is going to be 14 here soon. It's going to be 14 wow. years since I started. That's awesome. Um, and, and, but, in case,
0: and in case you're a listener out there who hasn't been with us for the full 14 years, um, make sure to go do a quick Google search on Bob Salvatore um and uh we did have an episode a few weeks ago in which we talked about the forgotten realms which is probably Mm -hmm. his uh best known work though it is certainly not his only work uh so make sure to take a listen to that as well
1: nice plug-in plug-in our old shows
0: i'm trying (laughs) man i'm trying my darndest it's it's that synergy right is that the clicks the clicks
1: it is so the new book out. You know, let's start with you know the Dritz novels. Um, you know the new book out is Starlight Enclave. Uh, you know you released it through Harper Voyager, and it picks up two years after the last book. And there's there's been some peace in the land, which there hasn't been for a while. And uh, it's it's got this really interesting storyline. You've got like two different storylines going on with Jarlaxle and Zach Nafane, and then Dritz um what was kind of the driving force behind writing this story for you well i've I've wanted to do this book for a
2: long time uh we actually this book was actually worked out a lot of the details on what i was going to do was worked out up at wizards with with me sitting around the table with some of the team several years ago when i told them this is how i this is what i want to do with the drought these are the pieces that are missing And Mm -hmm. the first piece that's missing is showing that Dritz wasn't unique among the drow, except that he escaped. And then Loth came back after him and couldn't get him. That was what was unique about Dritz compared to the others. But I wanted, so in the first series I did with Harper, now, first, let me back up just a bit. I thought Hero was going to be the last Dritz book. Yeah. Because Wizards wasn't publishing anymore. And I would have been okay with that, except I was I was upset that there were two things I, I still wanted to do. And so the first thing was to show that most of the people in Menzo Berenzin hate love. They they have no use for her. They know it's it this is a wicked, nasty culture that she's forced upon them down there. But what are they gonna do? You know, it's 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 bad enough when we have an autocratic, you know, a dictator in our world trying to hold him. People under his thumb. You know, we have the internet, and they can cross a border and escape if they can get out. Right? We've been seeing this throughout human history. If you live yeah. in the underdark and you're you're in a little cavern, all you know is what you're taught, and yeah. you also know that part, and part of what you're taught because it's true is if you leave, you're probably dead within like two days of walking out of that city alone. So the the generations trilogy, the the backstory on Jarl Axel and fame was meant to show. Just how much discontent there was underneath, and how many other drow. And it's always been hinted at in the series. I mean, the people who call the drow evil in the series are the surface dwellers. The drow don't mm-hmm. think of themselves as evil, but a lot of them know that a lot of these practices really aren't cool. Yeah. So you that know, was generations. And then the other thing, the second thing I wanted to do with the drow, and again, this was even before the new sensibilities, although you could see it was beginning. Yeah. Was show that. The ones that had never been influenced by Loth would have a very different take on the world. So I mm. want, and I always love creating a new culture. That's like my favorite part of writing is creating a new city, a new culture. And so I got, to, and I wanted to do that, and it it had to make sense, and it had to fit in, and it had to be a logical difference from, and it had to be just as unique. I wanted the new city to be just as you see the way they make their clothing, the way they their blood sport, their whole way of living. You, I wanted to be just as different as Menzo Berenzam was from the, the norm of where I was writing. But that was years ago when I decided to do all that.
0: Yeah. I absolutely love it. And 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 you know, I love that you're that you're trying to, you know, very explicitly explore that space because a lot of players who you know only dwell on the mechanical space of Dungeons and Dragons love the drow, love this ability to be a a, a different outsider, maybe in some ways. Sure. And, and I think that a lot of people really connect with that. And I also think that that maybe leads to a lot of some of the, the upset and the bad feelings that people have felt uh, as they take a surface level reading of a very deep and complicated background and culture and story. I, I think that's hugely valuable to be exploring that. Oh, it's absolutely true. Uh, Peter
2: Atkinson was on Twitter um about about a month ago and he was saying how he wants to devote the rest of his time working in the gaming industry into making sure it was more inclusive and and just it became a better community and just just to help bring it forward and he was asking for advice on how to do it my advice to peter was just do it quietly and don't tell anyone you're doing it uh one of my big regrets honestly about starlight enclave is that it was given away before the book came out Mm. stories Mm. or parts of the story the superficial parts of the story i wanted people to figure out what that what happened in that book the big event in that book when the people in the book the characters in the book discovered it i wanted them to share that experience of looking down at this place
0: yeah
2: like i did with homeland but since everybody already had brought their preconceived notions into it one way or the other I think that lost a lot of its pop, which is one of the worst things that the authors hate when that happens. Because you yeah. design things in a specific way to have a certain impact. And if it's given away, it's like watching a movie trailer that gives away the end of the movie. Yeah. You know? And yeah, so to me, it I don't know how to put this correctly. So I'm going to be very careful here. <laughs> My books have been anti-racism, You know, if people are going to accuse me now of being woke, well, I got news for you. Dritz was woke in 1987 when I wrote him.
3: True story. Yeah.
2: And it's funny to me because I started getting a ton of criticism. And it was no chatter around the internet, which rolls right off these shoulders. Thank you very much. (laughs) I know who I am. You aren't going to change my mind. Two different editors have called me. Editors I worked with long in the past. And said, I really hate that you're being put in the front of this fight because you've been writing the, some of the most progressive fantasy books for more than 30 years. Yep. I said, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because it's who I am. This is, and, and, I'm not, and I'm not saying that. I look at life as waking from birth on. Evolve. Learn. Be better. Do better. Make people around you feel better every day. Own your mistakes, fix them.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And Absolutely. you know, the, the, I, did an, I did an interview, and, and, the, and the interview, the, the interview itself came out, the whole the whole story around the quotes they used came out beautiful. But the headline of the interview said that the drow were built on racist tropes. Oh, oh no, I never said that. And I would never say that. I wasn't in the room when Gary and the the folks at TSR did it, but I met Gary a few times and he did not come off as racist to me. I'm sorry. I have no way of ever saying anything like that. Hmm. I do agree, however, that because of, and this is something I learned along the way, very recently, well, maybe 12 years, 12, 13 years ago, that the very equation of black equals evil First of all, I don't think of the drow as evil. I think of the menzo Barenzan, lothian drow as in in an evil culture. Mm -hmm. The drow were based on the mafia. They were based on the five families of New York from Mario Puzo's work, okay? And it's no coincidence that the new city is based on pre-Renaissance Florence, Mm -hmm. okay? (laughs) There's a reason I do these things, because it's what I know. Um. But that whole idea of black equals evil has to be stomped out. That's the only trope I was talking about. Yeah. Because if you read my books, go back and read the early Dritz books and tell me that the are any more evil, if that's how you're going to define evil, than the magistrates of Luskin who torture minor criminals, torture them in front of cheering audiences, which happened in the middle ages all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, to the surface people, the are evil. Which means that if a bunch of elves or dwarves came upon a group of drow, they'd wipe them out, just like the drow do when they find a group of dwarves or elves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wolfgar's tribe, in the very first book, tried to conquer 10 towns. What do you think that would have looked like had they conquered 10 towns? These were, in my mind, based on Vikings. What do you think the scene would have looked like post conquest? Yeah. If Bruna had killed 12 year old Wolfgar in that fight, Nobody would have batted an eye. They did bat an eye when he spared them, though, didn't they? Yeah. So my way of thinking is I have a dwarf whose father to two humans, one of whom married a drow, and whose best friend is a halfling. There's my defense, people. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost... it's
3: almost like in your literature, you were pointing out both the fallacies and the dangers, the inherent dangers of holding artificial stereotypes against an entire people.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. That's the whole point of the books. <laughs> <laughs> and then also, there's another part of that, though, and it, and it came out in the Halfling's Gem the first time, is, is when Bree looks at Dritz and says, are you more oppressed by the way the world's seeing you or by the way you're, you're seeing the world seeing you? And I think that's a conundrum that anybody who feels different has to deal with. Yeah. Not just based on race, but on anything. If you're the outsider in high school, are you more held back because of the way you think people are looking at you or because
0: What's or by the happening. way they're
2: actually looking at you.
0: Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, and, and we've, we've talked a little bit more about this before the show as well. and And I've also read a number of interviews with you where you've explored this more in depth too. And, um you know there there is a a huge important difference between people who are actually being abused actually being stereotyped actually being cast out and people who are uh, to use the popular term white knighting right coming mm-hmm. in and trying to fight against an oppression that m- may or may not exist and the big message that, that I've always taken away from from your works and from the other conversations that I've seen too is like we need to we need to go out of our way to be the heroes of that story, right? We need to find the ways to sometimes just escape if you are the dritz character or to go and be the person who overthrows the system when it does need to happen. Um, and one of the things that we've talked about a lot on the show here is is that you know fantasy and and storytelling is one of those places to practice that, right? Practice Absolutely. overcoming that's the prejudices, practice overcoming the evils in the world, and recognizing them for what they are as early and as often as you can, and learning the nuance as well. And, and that's
2: a great point. And I'll add though one of the other things we we have to we have to know our place in the fights because the fights are real. Yeah, yeah. you know. It, and the people, the, the point for someone like me, I, I'm an old white guy, I, and, and that's privilege. Just being white, a white guy, growing up when I grew up, gave me I, things that my sister's never had. Yeah. Okay? And gave me opportunities that a lot of other people, we were talking earlier before we came on the air about the Hispanic community that came into my hometown and make me feel like I felt when I was a kid. I had opportunities they didn't have. My, I had opportunities my dad, as an Italian immigrant, didn't have. My grandfather didn't have. But being a white guy has its privilege. And so, you know what your job is in all of this? Just listen. Yeah. Just listen. You know. Absolutely. So I'm not gonna. It. I'm not going to get into the, you know, the 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 kind of cliches that are being thrown around woke virtue signaling i'm not going to get into those things because i don't know what's in the heart of the people doing things and however it goes we can make it better we can make everything better for everybody if we just listen and do the right thing yeah i'm not trying to get all preachy here but that's how i live my life it's how I, i remember i was 10 years old and we were watching the olympics I, was, I wasn't quite 10 years old, actually. I was nine and a half. We were watching the Summer Olympics. My dad was a World War II vet, wounded at Cherbourg, D-Day plus six, uh, you know, and he, Salvatore, not Salvatore, because my dad said you're American, it's Salvatore, proud Italian-American, proud. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was watching the Olympics with my dad. And I remember when Tommy Smith and John and Carlos got up on that box and lifted their black gloved mm-hmm. ha- fists to the anthem. And I looked over at my dad. It's one of my few memories from those years. And he was crying. There were tears coming down his face. And I said, I thought he was pissed. I thought he was going to explode. Because this is like Mr. Flag, Mr. America, you know, blah, 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 blah. This country is, is you know, his family escaped poverty and came here. Country gave them everything. And I said, Dad, are you mad at them? And he said, Bobby, I didn't go to World War II to fight fight for a piece of cloth. I went to fight for what that piece of cloth stands for. That is what the piece of cloth stands for right there. never yeah. forgot that. Never forgot that.
0: Yeah. Dr. King said that riots are the language of those without a voice right absolutely. i might be misquoting that slightly but absolutely but you know that that being able to take those moments to to speak to call attention to problems and also to be an active uh, an active cog in the wheel that helps to solve them i, I always really thought important. when
2: i watched that st louis incident a couple of years ago when the two came out with their guns because the mm. march was going past their house they mm. just come out with some bottles of water in the summer heat
0: yeah how much better
2: would have that been for everybody there yeah yeah because that's what i would have done i would have gone to the end of my driveway with a case full of water and said here it's hot take some water
0: (laughs) (laughs) whether i agree with the protesters or not i would have done that that's how you learn you know and it's it's interesting that we're talking about the experiences that have kind of helped to shape who you are and have helped to shape some of your 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 writing and your ethos and and things like that what then have you learned now in 40 years of writing maybe more my brain might be doing the math wrong there i've been writing
2: for 40 years i've been published for 34
0: yeah my so, first contract was 87 so what are some of those things that that you have you just made me old learn <laughs> oh, i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm supposed all to make the guests all- look good I'm trying to set it up here is it's like you know that's that's a long time to be actively published in writing what are some of the things that you have come to learn in the way that you express your voice and your experiences to be a more effective author and to send more effective messages see I'm not, I'm not so much trying to send messages though that's where
2: you have to start that answer mm-hmm. because to me writing is a way I make sense of the world so I have questions like I wonder I felt like an outcast in high school. I was a really good athlete in my neighborhood. I was the quarterback every time we played. I, I was a really good hockey player. I was a really good baseball. I was a good athlete. But when I, was, but I, didn't, my, I went through puberty really late. So I was like the smallest kid in my ninth grade class. Plus, I had this knee problem where something had grown too fast. And I, every time I walked, my knee clipped. I was in pain all the time. I was on a cane half the year. So I became like this, like outcast because of sports. Sports was everything in junior high, right? And and I never got over that because I was painfully shy. So I went through my high school years as an outsider, really. Uh, I got picked on early and then I grew a lot, started weightlifting, started boxing and stopped getting picked on. But I was an outsider and I was held back a lot, by the way, by those early experiences. Like I never asked a girl for a date in high school. Ever, um, finally, I got to college and realized my life was going by and I wasn't in it. So <laughs> <hey>, I <it> forced <laughs> myself out of that shell. But I was always wondering what it was like if, you, if for people who couldn't escape that, who whether through whether through gender or you know or or race, I don't like using that word, but through skin color, we'll use that, okay, or yeah. or cultural background, couldn't escape it. I always wondered what it would be like for to to have that that whole situation that I went through for a very brief moment in my life just be the reality that you couldn't escape. Mm -hmm. And so I created Dreads, because then he was going to show me. And -hmm. that's what I tried to explore in my books, by putting him through the experiences that I knew that people I had met went through. And it's never been perfect. It's oftentimes not been right, I'm sure, because I'm not them. But that I write to learn. I write to put the hard questions about life, about what's after life, about ethics, about racism, about sexism. Mm-hmm. I put those things in front of me and try to wind my way through We're all trying to wind our way through this muddling road, right? I do it for me. I publish because they pay me and they, that gives that means I can do more. So I'm not trying to put messages in my books. I'm not the Pied piper. I'm a guy who's on an adventure and I'm thrilled that other people are on the road beside me. Maybe taking the same things I am, maybe taking very different things from it. And you know, you could, I don't want to give people answers. I want to make them ask the questions. They can find their own damn answers.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's something. I mean, that's something I've really enjoyed about the books. It's always seems like you know, when I've read them, whether it's the first time through or I've reread them, there's always a message or something I take away from the story or, you know, uh, even the monologues um, in many of the the Dritz novels, there's always something I'll read that. And in the time I'm reading, it's like, okay, that's an answer to something I've been thinking about or pondering. Uh, And it's just because of my interpretation of it. Um, And the thing that I do really enjoy is, Every character always is trying to assess the situation and be the best version of themselves in that situation to help out. I'm an Uh, optimist. Yeah. I mean, even Jarlaxle, you know, uh, an amazing character that has survived in probably one of the most difficult situations, though he could not escape. He still tried to make the best of it for himself. And instead of being selfish, Tried to rescue and bring others yep. into the little society he was building to protect them and to give them an opportunity which i found always found amazing
2: well um, you know when i did what i thought was in trary swan song was the Selsowitz trilogy and yeah. i thought after redemption that he found in in the third book wrote of the patriarch right um when is that yes yeah. That was the third book. Yeah. It's been a long time, a lot of books. <laughs> but to me, who else could find redemption by by threatening a priest? Right? Because when they burned down the they burned down the chapel or the temple, whatever it was called in the book, and he said to the guy who survived it, All right, listen, you rebuild that and you live up to the promise that you were giving the flock, or I'm gonna come back and burn it down again, and this time you're gonna be in it. <laughs> to me, that was redemption for Adamus Centreri. But then, and I thought that was it. You would believe the emails like dozens and dozens of people saying you can't end it there because this was also after the short story came up that explained kind of Entreri's early childhood and what happened yeah. to him. I was getting letters from people who had gone through things like that. And they said, he's survived. We have to see him surviving. And so I had to beat him up again in real, through the generations trilogy. Right. Again, he had to find out the cost of his bad acts with, with, the character who was really conscience personified because of the breaking of the phase rest, right? You had this character in that book who was literally conscience and walking around and able to make people pay for their crimes. And so, and I don't think it was until that it's when I realized that for Adamus and to ever find a path, he had to be able to look himself in the mirror without loathing what he saw. Yeah and people wanted more of that. So yeah, I get about I get about 5, I'm not even exaggerating here. I get about 5 pms or emails a day from people for years and years and years every day from people saying your books saved my life or your books helped me become who I am today. And that yeah. is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but it, 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 is, it is humbling, it's inspiring. It means that they're, that I'm not giving them answers. It means that they're reading the books and they're asking themselves questions. Yeah. And that's all to me, an author's, that's my job. That's an artist's job in any art form. If somebody can look at your painting like that one, look into it, find meaning, then you win because you've yeah. done something good for the world. And I learned this when I dropped out of my master's English classes. And the reason I dropped out of my master's English classes is they were trying to give me the answers to things Mm -hmm. that didn't have one answer. I was taking a Chaucer course. And the question was, why was, I think it was the parson, the kind of fire and brimstone guy. Why was he at the end of the line on the road to Canterbury? And we had like three people in that class who were really into this stuff. And the rest were, uh, and I'm not, this isn't diminishing, but they were nursing students who had to take this English 104 class. Right because it was the only one that fit their schedule. But they were still interested in working, but they didn't have like the background of the lit student, me, the philosophy major, and the other lit student, where we were already ready for 104. They should have been in 102, right? Because they didn't have time to put the kind of effort into this. They were nursing students and they were trying to learn millions of things to get through the degree. But anyway, so the lit the lit student came up with this, told the teacher why Chaucer did that. And the answer was, no, you're wrong. And I was like, wait, that was brilliant. What do you mean you're wrong? And I just <laughs> shut up. Now, by this point, I was back in college. I, had, I was already a published author. I had like four books out, but nobody really knew that in the class. And I didn't want them to. And then the, the philosophy major came up with this amazing answer. I wish I could remember it. And, and he was brilliant. He was a brilliant kid. And no, you're wrong. And I started laughing because it was brilliant. And why are you laughing? I said, why are they wrong? what's the answer well what do you think the answer is i no, you know the answer apparently tell me and the answer was because the parson at the end of the line could see if anybody strayed from the path and bring them back and i said did chaucer
0: ever say that
2: well that's in all the critique the critiques down down. did chaucer ever say that yeah. well not that i'm aware i said then how do you know and i started laughing again i think this doesn't even make sense well, wait a minute. So, the person could have been at the front of the line to make sure nobody's straight, to lead them down the straight and narrow, right? Preston hmm. could have been at the middle of the line when no one was far from his, his gates. <laughs> well, why do you think he was that? I, said, I don't know. Maybe Chaucer wrote them last. <laughs> I don't know. I know what other people are telling you they got out of it, but these two people just told you what they got out of it. It was completely different. It was brilliant. That's not no. I got kicked <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I quit school. That's
3: that, quit that's school. like an applaud moment right there. Yes. That's yeah, beautiful. it was
2: like this is ridiculous. And what happened to me is the reason I quit is because I realized if I finished that master's degree and this was what I was going to be fed, I mm-hmm. would never be able to write the books I wanted to write. That's right. Never. Yeah. Never. Mm-hmm. I would be too worried about putting in obscure references or following traditions or using language as tools. I mean, as rules, instead of tools, language is a tool. Don't give me your rules about language. If what I'm telling you is conveying what I want you to hear, I did it right. I don't care what your grammatician says.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's that's Uh, brilliant. I'm going to jump in real quickly before you take over, Krebs, because I know you have a question. Um, You know, I just want to express, you know, my gratitude towards you with these books, because, You know, uh, definitely Dritz and Artemis were characters that stood out to me just because of my own childhood. Uh, It was very difficult uh, and I can relate. You know, I can relate to Artemis because I went through that as a kid. Um, I can relate to Dritz because I was able to escape that. Um, So those two characters I've always been able to relate to and it has always given me courage to Cause there, there is a way to improve. There's a way to be better. And that's been a driving force in my life um, to take risks, to take chances because, you know, we're not limited by that past, by, you know, that family of origin or where we came from. So if anything, anyone can get out of these books is, you know, especially if you have that difficult past, take that, you know, it is possible to become a better person and uh, to, to, create a new and better life um so you know thank you for creating that that
2: that really means a lot to me and and it's really funny because when they first asked me well because adamus and trary was originally put in just because i wanted a second book i kind of liked writing the crystal shard so at the end i had to put some hooks in right so i got brunner on the bed (laughs) tricking dritz into going to his homeland you know the, the the classic trope of the dwarves going to find their homeland right um and I had Regis going to town and see a guy with a jeweled dagger. And I had no idea who he was. So when they signed me up to do the second book after the first one came out, right? Um, because I was working full-time in finance at the time. Mary Kirchhoff asked me, you know, well, who, or, or it was Eric Sievers and my editor said, well, who is this Artemis guy? What are you going to do with him? I said, he's going to die probably. <laughs> well, who is he? And I said, well, he's who Dritz would have been if he hadn't gotten out of Men's eye, or who Dritz is afraid he would have been if he hadn't gotten out of men's on. So what you just said really resonated with me. Yeah. Because if Dritz had yeah. stayed there, he would have been like Zach Nfane, right? Is Zac yeah. really any different than, is Zach Nfane really any different at all than Adamus? What's his joy in life? Killing zealots.
1: Yeah.
2: Because he knows they're evil. What's Adamus's joy in life? Killing the jackasses that keep everybody in the mud on the side of the streets.
3: Yeah. You know, th- this is a great point because I feel like we could have Multiple episodes, just going through the reams of physical mail and email that you have to have received over the last thirty-seven years about how your writings have impacted in a real way other people's lives. I'm genuinely curious. You know, you've got you've got dozens of titles and works under your belt, and you've been doing this for thirty-seven years. For your published forty years, for you're doing the work. 70.
2: Right. 70.
3: Yeah. A total of 74 years. Uh, no. Um, no, books. Yeah, Oh, oh totally. <laughs> I'm 70 approaching books. 70. Yes. And, and I'm curious, um, what was a time where you wrote something for catharsis, something that you were struggling with, that you needed to work through, and you didn't know what the answer was, so you just started writing, and the answer presented itself?
1: See that picture? Oh, oh I know the answer. was. Mortalis.
2: My brother was dying of cancer. I didn't know how to deal with it. I had lost my dad years earlier, but you expect to lose your dad. You don't expect to lose your brother at that age. He was in his forties. I was not even 40. And he was my best friend outside of my wife. He was the guy I called second whenever I went on the road from the hotel phone that was charging $5 a minute. So I could only make a couple of phone calls, right? Uh, he was my my friend in hockey and softball. He was the guy that got me my job at GenRad. He was the guy that got me into D&D because he started playing with some guys from GenRad where he worked. And then they brought me into the group when I was in college. Um, And I was going through grief, Mortalis About Grief. That book saved me. It got me through it. Of course, the other book I wrote at that time was Vector Prime, which actually came out on the day of my brother's last MRI when we knew it was over. And I had to cancel my book tour because I had to stay home and help take care of him. And I was supposed to actually go out that day, October 5th, uh, 1999. I was supposed to do a book signing at the World Trade Center at um, the borders, the bottom of the World Trade Center. And I had to cancel the tour. And and all of a sudden, the newspapers, the Washington Post is is putting a story about me canceling my trip to care for my sick, my dying brother, which I was like, I can't believe they put that in the paper. You know, it yeah. was like, that was like a gut punch. I was just praying Gary didn't see it, you know? Mm-hmm. He didn't need to hear that. But um, that book really meant so much. Of course, then right after that, I had to deal with people writing me death threats and hate mail because I killed Chewie, which was <laughs> kind of a, it was kind of a, a, a parallel. Here I am dealing with the loss of my brother and I'm trying to relate to people who are dealing with the loss of a fictional character. And it was really confusing and hard and difficult but that book was the biggest catharsis that book that book got me through the toughest year of my life or one of certainly thank you for sharing yeah that's a
3: lot yeah i felt that as you spoke um
1: i'm i feel that thank you for sharing that with us that is an amazing book if you haven't read it um that's my favorite book yeah if and, tell and you, I, if I
2: had to tell you, name my favorite books to you. That one is always, If every time you asked me that question, there were going to be three variables, depending how I feel. But Homeland and that book will always be in it. If people ask me my favorite book is.
3: For, for, for you,
2: what makes Homeland so special? It was the first time I got to, I mean... Crystal Shot is special because it was first, but I think Homeland is where I really got to do it. I really got to come up with something completely different. Crystal Shot is very standard, you know, what I knew of the fantasy genre. Sure. Right? It's this buddy fantasy. It's, it's Homeland was something different. Homeland is when I got to create an entire culture. Not whole cloth because I had the parallels in my head from our own history that I wanted in there, but pretty much whole cloth. And I, I just think that book, that's when I started doing the Dritz essays. I didn't do them in the, you know, I didn't do the ones that were in the Icewind Dale trilogy until the science fiction book club version omnibus came out. I added those later. So those were the first Dritz essays, because I was originally planning to write Homeland first person. I, I love um, Chronicles of Amber, right, Zelazny's work, which are brilliant. And so I thought, since I'm going to focus mostly on this character, I'll write first person. And then I changed my mind because I like doing battle scenes where I'm seeing many, many different perspectives. And besides, I grew up with television. And what that means is that I'm okay with point of view shifts in books, because television is nothing but point of view shifts. Think about it. You're watching, you're watching Friends, right? Ross says something. Rachel says something. When I'm writing a book, I feel like I'm an actor playing all the parts in the book. That's right. Okay. So I'm a, I i did not want to lose all of that. So I decided I'd do these essays at the beginning of each section and see if if, if it worked. And some people hate them, by the way. <laughs> some people hate them because they think Dritz is preaching to them and it makes them uncomfortable. But the truth is, he's not, he's not. He's not, this is a journal. He's writing to himself.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, but some people love. Him. But for um, me, it was when I was able to, I think, take a big step as a writer to be more honest. Because Here's the thing. I've always said that being a writer is like walking naked down through Times Square on a busy workday at noon. Because if you can't be honest, if you can't put it out there, don't be an artist of any type, because it will show. Your characters will be limited. Your work will be limited. You have to be honest. You have to just throw it out there and hope that, and you're going to get beat up no matter what you do. I mean, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter. You can bring people joy for 15 years with your books and then hit one that they don't like and they'll hate you forever it's just the reality of the world being yep. an author is like writing that perfect piece in second grade thinking i wrote the perfect piece ever and getting it back with red marks all over it that's what being an author is <laughs> you got to deal with it you got to just grow that thick skin and deal with it uh, but you got to be honest and that's why it yeah. can hurt because you're being honest
0: you know it's kind of funny uh because <laughs> i've i've uh, i've been thinking through Right, like like what you're saying there, being honest. And, and and some of the things that were going on at that time as you were dealing with, because um, so uh, I, I lost a, a huge portion of my memory last year. Um, but yeah. as you were talking about Vector Prime, I'm like, I know that book. And and it came back. That is actually the first book of yours that I read, funnily enough. Um, and that was one of the things that got me into your books as well as into some of Tracy's, funnily enough. um. But uh, but just thinking about you know that that critical time in in my life and having a lot of those memories coming back as so I'm thinking about it, um, that's one of the seminal lessons that that I've had to learn over. You know, admittedly fewer years, but uh, is is that critical piece? And my first business was writing and arranging music, and I had a guy come up to me after a concert once talking about. Oh man! Did you hear such and such an arrangement? And the the you know the arranger clearly was trying to go for X Y Z, and I just sat there and said no. And, and but it it led <laughs> me down the path of trying to like try to imbue meaning into every single little thing that I did. And and I think that that rings very true to say that um, that in the times in which I have seen myself or other creators be honest in their works. Uh, going into it with with the real intent of that that curiosity of discovery uh, of asking the questions to yourself absolutely that's um, our- i think it leads to a much stronger thing um funnily enough is we're also talking about this i know that you've got a a young adult book that's coming out i think next week right next week, like so well, yeah t- talk about that for a minute what's going on there yeah what happened was um temple hill
2: the studio that did um fault on our stars and mm-hmm. um a couple uh, I think they did the, the later Twilight movies. Um, the guy from Temple Hill, a friend of my agent, he wanted to talk to me about doing a book for them. And I said, Why don't you just do the Highway Man? It sounds like exactly what you're looking for. Because I love the Highway Man. It's one of my favorites. Um, and he said, No, no, we want something new. And but we want a young adult. And I was really busy. I mean, I've been doing the Dritz books and Demon Wars. I'm working on a Demon Wars book now, by the way. Uh Pirates. And, um, and the, so they, they wanted me to do this young adult book that, that, and, and I really was like, you know, but I have a friend actually who, who has been my friend for many, many years. I've known her for 20 years and she just started writing. She, she quit her job and became a full time writer. And I actually had edited her first book. She sent it to me. And I gave her a read and I gave her some suggestions and she took them and she did a fabulous job. I mean, the book was, it, it got sold. It was out there. It's called game of shadows names, Erica, Eli Lewis. And Erica is a dear friend to me and Diane. And um, I knew she could do it. And so I said, well, how about if I write it with someone else? And he said, yeah, that'll work Gino. And I said, no, nah, Gino's busy. <laughs> he can't do it. <laughs> but um, I have a friend who knows and in Gino. I don't know if he could do YA anymore because he's not a kid anymore. He did Stone of Tomorrow with me, which were YA books, supposedly. They're just Dritz books. But um, so Erica and I sat down and we did The Color of Dragons. And, and, and it was a completely different experience because it's a very different genre than adult fantasy. Mm. Has different needs, serves different audience, serves different purposes. So it was kind of a learning experience for me listening to Erica and Kristen, who's the really top drawer editor. We got one of the better editors on this, which was nice listening to them on the phone, going back and forth. And it was like, they were talking a different language to me. So I got to learn an awful lot. And but we did this book called color dragons and, 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 and it's coming out next week. And, and, you know, kudos, Erica did most of the writing in it, and kudos to her because she just knocked it out of the park. Um, and that was my first collaboration with someone who wasn't my son. So I couldn't just beat him up if he got me mad,
1: you know, <laughs> it was, um,
2: <laughs> But it uh, it worked out well, and, and I'm really thrilled with it. It's coming out next week. It's it's a standalone. Uh, it was it was just something different to try, like when I do video games, something different to try, and it was yeah. a very worthwhile experience. Because of Eric. congratulations! She did a fantastic job.
1: Congratulations to her too. Uh, I'm excited to get get it because unfortunately, yeah, well, not unfortunately. Fortunately, if it just has your name on it, I'm going to buy it. It just happens to it's be getting ready. some great reviews.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's
1: getting some, right, which, which makes me happy, but uh, and yeah, plus it, so. has, it has dragons in it. So it, it has it dragons has... in it. Yes. <laughs>
0: yeah. Absolutely love yeah. it. So where should people be looking for that since we're on the topic before? Well, we anyway,
2: I mean, it's going to be in all the stores. We've got a, if you, if you want to get one signed, hurry up. Is it when this is live, right? This is going out today or. Uh, It'll be out Friday. Next Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The book will already be out. <laughs> <laughs> so y'all miss this. But we do e-signings at RA Salva Store, bad dad joke.com. It's I my wife's it, store. And you it's regular price for the books. We have to charge for shipping. We're not Amazon. But you can get the book signed. You can get it. And we'll we'll have Erica. Erica's coming out Monday, actually. She's coming out um next Monday, um, the set of the 18th. And on Tuesday, we're doing the e signing from Salvatore.com, which is different. They just do new books. And we're doing the books that were already ordered from rasalvastore.com. But Erica will sign a bunch of the other ones that I Annie, mean, because Diane buys extra, because we'll have them up throughout forever. And then we'll just do book plates when that doesn't work. Or we'll, we'll just have her sign them around California because she lives near where we do in California. But um, so they can get the books there, but you can any any bookstore, should have them. I mean, they're it's a, it's, a, it's a Harper release. It'll be everywhere. Uh, it's already been sold in a bunch of different countries. And it'll be
0: everywhere, I hope. <laughs> so Unless, what did you unless, find unless
2: they're all sitting on some ship off the port of LA. You can't get in.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That juju. Let's not let's not get into that. Yeah, right seriously. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I'd like to be,
2: have, have a Kickstarter coming, do with stuff coming from China. Ooh, hoo,
0: hoo. Mm, I've I, been I,
3: there.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I know people who have it's, can't be fun.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just kind of a plug for the RA Salvastore uh, folks, if you haven't done it already, uh, you know, they'll personalize things. So uh, that's the really cool thing. Not only do you get the, the you know, the signature, but, you know, Bob, that personalizes it for you. So if it's a gift for someone or something like that. Okay, Merry go, Christmas,
2: go. Fred. I do it all the time. Can mm-hmm. I make two suggestions on that, though? Go ahead, please. Please. First, make sure you remember I'm the one writing in the book, not you. So please don't put to my dearest wife, to to the love of my life. Because I won't put that in there. We say, well, you know, because first of all, my wife's there when I'm signing them. (laughs) And second of all, that's your message to them. You write that in the book. Have me write something else. And you don't even have to put anything for me to write. Just say, please personalize it to someone. And I'll just come up with something that's pertinent to the book. And then the second thing is, please don't put a quote or something you wrote in the book that's this long i'm writing on this little page that's got other writing on it and and i can't just sit there for an hour trying to squeeze words in. people put quotes from my books in it and sometimes it's like four pages and i'm like i can't do this there's no room
0: <laughs> i'll choose all the us, thes, and ofs and we'll just yeah. get those down and you can read the <laughs> typically
2: format. i typically the, the most common thing that I get asked for, and they just put scimitize High. To Fred, Symmatitis High, Ari Something like
0: that. <laughs> right. So before we move into a lightning round and get you out the door, is there anything else that you want to talk about? Plug, say, let the world know. Uh, the second book and the, the, the new Way of the Drought
2: trilogy, Following Starlight Enclave, is, is in. I haven't got my edit back yet, but it'll be soon. And that nice. will be out next summer.
1: I'm hoping tonight.
2: to be the guest at Gen Con next year. I want to be back yes. on the road. It's been too long. I want to get and I want to get back to Gen Con. I was supposed yes. to be the guest in, in 2020, but boom, right? Well, uh, but I
0: will 2020? be back on the road. Brad huh? <laughs> <Fred laughs> knocked it off.
2: Yeah, <laughs> 2020 didn't happen. We're going to leave it at that. Right, we, we lost a year. Yeah, so I'm hoping to be back on the road next year. Um, but that book will be out in the summer. Uh, probably they'll probably debut at a Gen Con. That's what the plan was before, but I'm not sure about that. Um, I, I think we have a working title, but I'm not going to give it yet. It's already changed once. now like <laughs> So not, I'm not going to give it yet. Um, I'll be writing the third book in that series starting uh, as soon as I'm done, hopefully turn of the year with the book I'm writing now, which is Demon Wars. I'm going yeah. back to the Demon Wars. Um after the main demon war series, well we have the Highwayman series which takes place four books that take place hundreds of years like 700 years earlier. that yep. show the the beginning of the magic system in the Abellican church. Then we have the seven book demon war series which really tells you about the war that part of the world. And we have the Coven series which takes place just a little bit along the end of the last demon war book that takes place in a different part of the world introduces new characters. But leads to a gigantic change in the world which has left me at a a really very very cool position where i can kind of parallel the 17th century in the new world with demons Mm, nice with pirates and people trying to come to terms with people who are very different than them and i'm having a blast with it and it's, it's mostly new characters, but um, one character, the couple have carried over from the other book, at least three or four will show up, but one will, will stick around from the coven, certainly, who I adore. So I'm, I'm about 80, 70, 80% done with that book. And wow. um, just having an absolute blast with it. At first I was terrified because I usually do books in several sections, Right. And uh, here I am. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is books going to take me 10 years to write because I'm at like 70,000 words. and I'm still on part one. Right. And then I realized, no, I'm not on part one, though. This is this story works. And so I just shift a few things around. And now I realize that I'm almost there and I'm, I'm just absolutely enjoying it. Every book I write, by the way, and I think this is true of most authors, you go in with this plan, whether it's this detailed outline or my, just this idea of where you want this book to go. And you're going with this plan all excited. And by the time you get to the middle of the book, you're like, why would I to read this crap? This is garbage. Because you're waiting to get to the ending. And you know all of this stuff that you have to yeah. fill in, right? So the reader comes to the ending with you. And then then you'll have that point. You'll have that moment. That's the time when you wake up at 2 in the morning and go, oh, that's it. And that happened to me a couple of weeks ago. And I've been flying since. And I'm like, yep, this book's okay. I'm having a good time with this. one." And it's nice. Pirates. So it's got to be fun.
1: Can't go wrong with Pirates.
2: Can't go wrong it. with Pirates. Well, you can, but it's hard. You got to work out <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's well, where I am. Those are the things I wanted
0: to say. Well, All thank right. you very much. I'm glad that it's no longer terrifying you, but don't get too comfortable yet because I believe that Krebs is ready to introduce the last portion of our show today.
3: Yes, I love to inject a little lightning round in there where I'm going to ask you a series of questions where we want to have just really super brief and fast off the top of your head answers. That's hard
2: for me. I'm not a short story writer. But go
3: ahead. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. We're we're down with this. We're gonna start easy. A couple of softball questions. You're a softball kind of guy. You're a baseball kind of guy. So we're okay. We got this. Here we go. All right. Question number one. What was your favorite nickname that you had growing up as a kid? Bobby. Bobby. Great. It's still Bobby. Favorite? Bobby was <laughs> my favorite player. Did you ever watch Bobby's World, the Howie Mandel cartoon? No. Just curious. Uh, what's your favorite color? Blue. What's your favorite food? Wait. Wait.
2: Purple. Ah. Okay. No. No. It used to be blue, but I've kind of moved. I've shifted.
3: What's your favorite food?
2: Now it was chicken. Now it's fake chicken. There you go. (laughs) Tofu. I've gone vegetarian mostly. Vegan mostly. Yes, and good. And you
3: look great, by the way. For those feel great. we, We do a podcast. The audience cannot tell, but you look great. Uh, if you could live as one and only one of your characters for a day. Which character would you live as?
2: Oh, my God. Alan from Coven. Why? Because she's badass and she has <laughs> magic and she can get in the minds of animals and she can fly over the birds. And she can, you know what I mean? She can put her mind, she can go right into the mind of a bird and fly, right? I mean, mm. come on. Yeah, it's pretty Alan. amazing. It's pretty amazing. Pretty, she's and awesome.
3: then and then finally, uh, what is your stance on 1983 sci-fi fantasy crawl? Wow. It was a movie. It was a movie. 1983.
2: I know it was a movie. In 1983, I was working three jobs and getting ma- getting ready to get married. And I, uh, the only thing I know about Kroll is in, in Wow, You Can Buy Swords for your Warrior called Kroll Blades, K-R-O-L. That's all I know about it. So <laughs> my stance is I missed a lot of the world when, when I was that age.
3: That's fair. That's fair. You know what? You're right. We should have a watch party online sometime. We'll set that up.
2: <laughs> i don't think so but i'll do freaks and geeks for you oh
0: freaks, freaks and, and geeks. geeks
2: that's like my favorite show one of my oh shows. it's a fabulous show well really well what a cast oh my god
3: oh my gosh what an amazing oh what a seminal show you man. cannot
2: be a man my age who went to high school in that time and not wish that every girl in high school was linda cartellini dude just seriously the way she like, acted she was seriously amazing in that show just whole, just oh. yeah it,
3: uh, fellow dungeon. And the followers. last
2: episode of that show. Oh. The last episode. Only thirteen episodes, I think. Something like yeah, that, it's very uh, one yeah. season. When when uh, oh, what's his name? The actor that played Daniel. Uh,
3: uh, not Jason Segel.
2: No, not Jason no. Segel. Um, not Seth Rogen. James Franco. James Franco plays D and D with the geeks. <laughs> does Carlos the dwarf. Come on, Carlos. And the Grateful Dead part of it. And I'm not even a dead fan, but I wished I had been after watching that show. I mean, oh, it, man. it was that show. Judd Apatow just knocked it out of the park with that cast. Absolutely. So, yeah. We going to do a freak scene anymore. Or am I done the late?
3: No, nope, that's it. That's it. That's all right, well, that's you all survived.
0: You that did it. Right. Sometimes all right. it's a crawl. Sometimes it's a sprint, but you know. Sometimes weird. it's a crawl. Did you just say that? Yeah, he did. Sometimes. I absolutely could. <laughs> no, su- no, such thing. When we, a- when we get to advance Zoom, we'll be able to flick people's noses through the screen. Right
2: <laughs> I'm going to work on that feature right
3: away. <laughs> oh, it's, we'll hey, you are a <laughs> That's
0: right. Uh, We're doing that. For right, right now, I am protected. Yeah, hey, I came internet.
3: up
2: with "Ira Salvador." I mean, I probably <laughs> deserve it more than you that we can get hit with it. A... <laughs>
3: I've I've heard that like four
2: times now, and it's still funny.
3: But I'm also a dad of two, so I don't know. Maybe it's a dad. Thing, <laughs> when I but... said
2: it, my wife just looked at me with the ro- the uh, rolling eyes, and everyone else groaned. And then she used it after after <laughs> mm-hmm. berating me for twenty minutes. They used it, it, it.
3: <laughs> It's why you're a prolific writer. You're you're a genius with with the with the language. That's what it is.
2: Or yeah. I'm just so stupid, people are entertained.
1: <laughs> I think Either that way
2: works for me. I don't
0: care.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, it's time to wrap this show up. So, folks, if you haven't already, go out, pick up a copy of Starlight Enclave, and pick up The Color of Dragons because it's available now because this episode has come out at that point. So, uh, pick up both of these because they sound like amazing books. If you have not already read any, of the uh demon war series go out pick that up or even any of the dritz books oh, you're missing something amazing and uh again thank you for coming on the show again it's always a pleasure it's always a great conversation uh i hope there will be many more uh, amazing novels to to come because i have plenty of empty bookshelves that i can continue to put your books on because i just love them uh I'm working on with it. that i'm working said, on it. <laughs> yep with that said, folks, uh, go pick up a copy, whether it's from R.A. Salvatore's site or Salvatore, or even any of the local bookstores. Grab your copy, and we'll catch you next time. No,
2: you're going to have to get it at store.
1: Yes, Salvatore. Salva store. just does the pre-orders for Never mind. any new book. <laughs> I'll get it right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Don't worry about it, Dan. We still love you. And Dungeon Crawl. Well, I don't out. want
2: Joe getting a bunch of emails over, because RASalvaTour.com isn't mine. I don't want that poor guy getting yeah. inundated. Why aren't you selling the books?
1: <laughs> there you go, folks. I stand corrected. Go to Al- salva store. Perfect. Your because if you go Any to the other place, we have them all there. I'm just going to get emails Christmas myself presents. like, why did you say that? <laughs> yeah. And Dungeon We're Crawler's. At
2: Christmas specials.
0: <laughs> mm. <laughs> so, uh, that is a good point. Oh man. Okay. Never mind, Daniel. You didn't hear that. Dungeon For crawlers. A extra
2: money. I'll lick the page, and you can get my DNA. <laughs> oh, there
3: it is. Oh. You can get it. Okay. Hey guys. guys. We we <laughs> gotta get
0: to
2: the
3: outro, hang guys. On. So Alton has been trying to hit his his farewell line three times, <laughs> and he keeps getting cut off. And I am here for it. I love this. Every time. I know. Bob, every time Alton opens his mouth, you just say something else. Do it. I love it. It's Wes amazing. Form, I
2: wouldn't come here. I know. <laughs> this is so amazing. This is fantastic. Hey, your own clone of Bob.
3: That's it. I'm going to I'm gonna Fair turn enough. everything Bob has said into like just little sound bites. And the moment Alton tries to close out the show,
0: I'm going to hit a sound bite.
3: <laughs> this, is, this is my favorite day.
0: <laughs> you know, just because just because I talk a lot, okay,
1: doesn't mean that you got to pick on me, Krebs. It's not fair. though oh, way. I love you, Elton. No, I, know I love you. What you, you really need to do is have it on you, so every time we're at his game store or anywhere else around him, it, it just randomly goes off.
3: <laughs> when I was a kid growing up in the East Coast, that's it. Every time Elton says anything, it's gonna go back <laughs> to the burrows.
0: Nice. I want to Love point it. out
2: for the last five minutes, they, they've been doing all the talking, Alton. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah, That's I know. True. You have been just a consummate professional, an excellent guest. And meanwhile... if well, you're going to insult me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, man. Uh, this is the you Are you going to get
1: this. us out of this or what? I got to go out. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying. All I'm right, trying. folks. <laughs> okay. said, we're out of here. We're handing it off to Alton.
0: And dungeon crawlers, whether you're being interrupted a million times or still asking yourself why... Tell your story, whatever may come. And whether you identify as tiefling
3: or drow, human or dwarf, always remember to be epic and don't suck.
0: Remember, the Force will be with you. Always.